Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. Today's guest speaker is Gordon Zerkowski, and the message is entitled, How to Bear Up Under Pressure. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Uh, yesterday at the men's breakfast, after we were, uh, were done, Carrie said to me, boy, you threw those men right in the deep end of the pool right away. You know, you just threw them right in there, in the deep side. I said, well, yeah, okay. So I'm going to do that to you today, if that's all right. We're going to go into the deep end of the pool, and the title of today's sermon is How to Bear Up Under Pressure. You may have noticed in our culture that the pressure on Christians is getting rather intense. Uh, the hostility, the rejection, the penalization, the marginalization, the ostr- uh, being ostracized for your faith is really become a real weekly or daily part of our culture. I'll just give you a few examples. In the last week or 10 days, Bernie Sanders, you know, the Bernie Sanders, who's the U.S. senator who ran for president uh, against Hillary Clinton, he said very publicly in a confirmation hearing for uh, a nomination for assistant director of the Office of Management and Budget, this nominee is a born-again Christian. All Christians are born again. But he's a Christian man who defends his faith, and he believes that you need Jesus Christ for salvation. So Bernie Sanders, in this public hearing, quizzed him about his faith, accused him of being too narrow-minded and being a bad person, and said publicly, I'm not going to vote for you because of your narrow-mindedness and your problems with accepting other religions. Now, that's anti-constitutional. The Constitution says directly there'll be no religious test for service in the U.S. government. Just yesterday, I read an article about the uh, 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 school in Edmonton, Alberta, our neighbors to the north in Canada, uh, and they were ordered by the government to stop, this is a Christian school, stop teaching texts from the Bible that are offensive. Stop teaching texts from the Bible that are offensive. Our will get you. You'll be in big trouble. This is a Christian school that's being challenged. California, again, I just read yesterday, California has expanded the states that it will not have state-paid travel to. California now has eight states that it will not allow uh, uh, state-paid travel to these eight states, Kansas, Alabama, some others in there, Mississippi. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when I think UCLA is supposed to play the University of Alabama in the fall in football. We'll see what happens. But that's another example, whether it's uh, those or Christian bakers or... Christians who own uh, facilities that they use for weddings and do not choose to open their facilities for homosexual marriage, we're under a certain um, discomfort. We're under some pressure to conform to the ways of the world, which is very inclusive and not honoring to God and His Word. So the hostility, the rejection, the feeling penalized, marginalized, and ostracized is on our heads every day, it seems. So how do you bear up under that kind of pressure. How do you withstand that kind of pressure? We're going to look at a couple of different sections of Scripture, but before we do that, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. It's a beautiful day in Bakersfield. We thank you for each person here. We thank you for this church and the opportunity that we have through Vanguard Bible Church to teach your word, to proclaim your gospel, to proclaim the good news of salvation through your great son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would be pleased as we open your book, as we think about and we seek to understand your ways. And Lord, may it be more than just a reading of texts, but may we have a direct pipeline into your heart 
so that we may know you and realize how big you are and realize that if we have you, we are walking with you. We have no reason to fear man. We have no need to be fearful of our circumstances, but we must take up our cross daily and follow you, whatever the cost, with great confidence that you are the God of the universe and you are the one whom we should fear and revere. And Lord, ask us to get, ask, we ask you for strength. We ask you for courage. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the, uh, the idea, is that pressure reveals character. Pressure reveals character. And we're going to go through a couple of scriptures, but I want to re- talk to you about an experience I had uh, quite a few years ago now. I used to work in corporate America before I, I moved into vocational ministry. Uh, but in, uh, in my position at Lucent Technologies, as you may know, Lucent was a big, big company uh, uh, headquartered in New Jersey, the East Coast, obviously. Um, but we would have monthly conference calls, and I would be on the phone uh, with maybe 15 people from around the U.S. and Canada, uh, managers, directors of, with different responsibilities in our multinational corporation. And on the phone uh, with this conference call at this time was uh, the vice president of corporate communications and a few other hotshots on the East Coast. And so as I'm, uh, you know, there's chitter-chatter as people are getting on the phone on the conference call. So I'm in my office, and I'm taking notes about what I needed to talk about, uh, about my work and how we're progressing on projects and so on. So I'm writing notes, and the VP of uh, corporate communications says, uh, so what is the role of the Holy Spirit? And I, I look up, and I think, what is, what is she talking about? This is Lucent Technology. She suddenly says, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? John Callahan, I don't know why I remember this man. His name was John Callahan. She, Callahan. she said, John's not here today, so he can't answer that question. And I thought, I know what the role of the Holy Spirit is. I know what the Holy Spirit does. It convicts the, the Holy Spirit. He convicts the world of sin, comforts believers, and glorifies Jesus Christ. That's what the scriptures teach us. It can, he convicts the world of sin. He comforts believers. He's the paraclete, the great comforter, the great teacher, helps us understand God's word, and he glorifies Jesus Christ. That was my perfect opportunity to speak. And guess what I did? Nothing. I said nothing. Now, I tell you that to let you know a humbling experience that I had where I failed. This was maybe 15 years ago, I think I mentioned, where I failed, and I felt so terrible about it. After the call, I thought, I'm sorry, Lord. I just failed completely. And I thought of Peter, and I I told the Lord I would never do that again because I was afraid. I was an elder in a church. I had a lot of responsibility in my church. But at that moment, at that point, I failed completely and miserably. It was shameful. But you know what? Our God is gracious, right? And as I repented, and as I, 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 I told him, Lord, let me never, ever do that again. I never want to be in this position again where I fail to speak of you when the opportunity arises. And that's what happens. The opportunity arises in a moment when you least expect it. I was getting ready for this meeting, and up comes this question. In a moment, surprise, here's your opportunity, Gordon. Nothing. Now, Peter had that experience. If you remember in Luke 22, we're not going to dwell on Luke 22, but if you remember Luke 22 where the disciples are arguing about who is greatest. Well, I'm greater than you, Peter, or I'm greater than you... John, or I'm better, and the Lord's listening to this. Imagine. Oh, my word, imagine that. He's listening to this. And Peter sa- uh, the Lord says to Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, Peter. In other words, 
Satan was saying, uh, Peter thinks he's so hot. He thinks he's a great man. Give me a chance with him. Give me a day with Peter. I will show you, Jesus, what Peter is made of. Pressure reveals character. I will show you what Peter's uh, made of. Give me my way with him. Do not protect him. Give me my way. I'll sift him like wheat. Jesus says, Peter, Satan has demanded that he sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you so that when you turn, you can comfort your brothers or edify your brothers. Peter didn't know what he was talking about. And he says, Peter says, I'm willing to die with you. That's my paraphrase. I'm willing to go to death with you and die with you. And the Lord says, no, Peter, you're going to, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times. And you know what happened. Peter denied him three times. You see, that's how I felt. Now, the great thing about our Lord is as I felt that way and I realized my failure 15 years ago and I, I repented, he received me again and taught me what I needed to do to grow. Even though I was an elder, I thought I was spiritually strong. That's my account of one really bad day. Character lacking doesn't mean you're a bad person necessarily. You might be a bad Christian, but you might have a bad day. And the Lord uses these experiences to reveal to you in his graceful way, you're not what you think you are. You're not what you need to be. Let me teach you something, Gordon, about your character so you can grow and be better than you are today. Let's open first into 1 Samuel chapter 21. We're going to set up this description in 1 Samuel 21 and then move into a psalm that David wrote as a result of this experience in 1 Samuel 21. I want to give you a little insight, too, about the, uh, uh, the pressure concept, the outward trouble that we have, and it could be trouble from the outside, it could be trouble uh, that uh, affects you like this stupid phone call I had, or it could be people persecuting you or threatening you. Outward trouble leading to inner turmoil, which leads to a revealing action by us, by each of us. Outward trouble, inner turmoil, what am I going to do? And then a revealing action, which shows you where you're at. Look at the life of David in 1 Samuel chapter 21. Remember, David is fleeing from King Saul. King Saul wants to kill him. King Saul was a very unstable man. He loved David. He hated, he hated David. He loved David. He hated David. And if you think that Saul chased David around for a few months, that's a mistake. Saul chased David trying to kill him for years. David was a young man when Saul started to chase him. You remember David had a good friendship with Saul's son, Jonathan, who was next in line for the kingdom, for kingship after Saul. God chose David to be the next king. David's under intense, incredible pressure from King Saul. In, in chapter 21 of 1 Samuel, he lies to uh, the priest uh, Ahimelech. He lies to him about why he's alone and why he's running. And then look what he does. He ends up in Gath. David rose and he fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Who was from Gath? Do you remember? Goliath was from Gath, the one that David killed with his slingshot. And the servants of Achish, the king of Gath, said to him, Is this not David? the king of the land, and did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. That's really a dumb song. I understand that. It's not a great song. It's a stupid song. And yet that's, people love David, uh, the great warrior, the great man of God, the great uh, writer of psalms and songs. He was amazing, an amazing man, an amazingly talented, gifted man. So they're remembering the dumb song they sang about David in comparison to Saul. And look what happens then in verse 12. David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. Problem one, fear of man. 
He was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And so in this fear, he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down into his beard. Now, how undignified is that? Great David, man of God, warrior, great writer, great songwriter, just an amazing person. He's so afraid that he pretended to be insane before these pagans. He ran his hands up and down the doors, and he spit into his own beard. Now, for a Jewish man, that was about as undignified as it can get. This is David, a very bad day. Achis said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? In other words, get rid of this man. He's out of his mind. Get out of here. Have him leave. And then we go into uh, chapter 22 where David flees Gath and he escapes into the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all of his father's house heard it, they went down there to be with him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him and he became captain over them, 400 men with him in the cave of Adullam. And that's where he writes Psalm 142 and Psalm 57. Psalms of repentance, psalms of regret, psalms of promise. You see, David had a terrible no-good-bad day. God revealed something about David's character, a great man of God, and God said, you're not great, really. I'm going to show you something here. You're going to be running your hands up and down the gate, spitting in your own beard, and you're going to be sitting in a dirty, stinky cave with a, bu- with a bunch of guys, 400 of them. Then he writes Psalm 142 and Psalm 57. We're going to dwell in Psalm 57. I'm going to read the entire psalm, and then we'll go through it together, okay? So follow along, please. Psalm 57, starting in verse 1. David writes, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God, most high, to God who fulfills his purposes for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, my O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Looking at verse 1, where he says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. Stop right there. See, your relationship with God is intensely personal. Your relationship with God is intensely personal, personal and re- it requires cultivation and care. When I was riding um, toward California on my motorcycle, I, I entered uh, eastern Colorado. 
And on the right side of the interstate were green rows of crops, carefully cultivated. You could see they were watered. I could see the contraptions they used to water large parts of these fields. On the right was green. I don't know what they were growing, but whatever it was looked really good, lush, green. On the left side was barren, filled with brush, brown and ugly. Now, someone took care. Someone took great care and continues to take great care in making sure that that crop is going to thrive. There's watering, there's cultivation, there's care, there's time. It's true of our relationship with the Lord. You can't be ready in the test unless you've prepared in advance for the day when you're going to be tested. Now, the day's going to come where that, where that farmer is going to uh, uh, take that crop and it's going to yield abundantly because of the planning, the uh, effort, the work that went into it to cultivate it, to prepare for the day of harvest. Your relationship with God is intensely personal. It's like that. It takes care and time and effort in advance because you'll reap a harvest as you are prepared for the day of trial. And when that pressure comes, the outer trouble, the inner turmoil, and the decision, the revealing decision of how you respond. Be merciful. In other words, withhold punishment from me, O Lord, for the wrong I've done. It's very different from grace. Grace is God's abundant blessing upon you for doing nothing. His graceful provision to you uh, in Jesus Christ is, is giving you graceful things. The grace of being alive today and having any of your body parts work is a grace of God. But David, remember, he just was embarrassed in 1 Samuel 21, that account of his drooling and running his hands up and down the gates. He calls out for God's mercy to withhold punishment for his cowardly wrong. Be merciful to me personally, me, O oh God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. When he says that, for in you my soul take rest, takes refuge, he's saying, in other words, I got nowhere else to go. I'm asking you to be merciful to me personally, Lord, because I'm taking refuge in you. My soul is taking refuge in you. I've got no place else to go. I'm in a dirty, stinky cave with 400 other guys. Lord, help me. Be merciful to me. Withhold punishment for my wrong. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. What a great picture. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. Remember the picture where Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem, and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you under my wings like a mother gathers her chicks. But you would not have it. Now, the masculine Jesus uses a feminine illustration of how rebellious the people were. He describes himself like a mother hen. Is that kind of unusual? He's not afraid to do that. He's very tender. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks in her wings, under her wings. That's the picture here. Under her wings, but you would not have it. You rejected me. You're running all around, and you're going to get hurt. I was uh, in Ohio, not this trip, but... In Ohio, I was riding west on a, a highway, and the, it was late in the day, and the sun was going down right in my face. And I had sunglasses on, heavy-duty sunglasses, and I couldn't see. I couldn't see. The sun was right in my face, and it was hot. And I wondered, am I going to have to stop? What will I have to do? Because I can't really see very well. It was very hot and sunny, and it was just really difficult. And there was a semi. It's a, it was an, a, a large four-lane road, uh, road, and there were two lanes on either side. So I had two lanes I was going down. And on my right, there was a semi-tractor trailer, one of these huge ones, right? So I tucked myself in the shadow of the semi, and I could see. It was shaded, 
I could see the road, and I thought, oh, this is like a minnow uh, swimming next to a whale. And then I thought, wait, well, yeah, I can do better than that. Let's see, what's, what is this like? What is this like? And of course, I have to think biblically. What is it like? What is it like? It's like taking refuge in the shadow of your wings, O Lord. It's like Psalm 91, where he, he says the same picture. Or like Jesus said, I would, have, I would have protected you under my wings, but you would not have it. In you, my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. I rode that shadow back and forth as the curves. I rode it for miles. And I could see the trucker looking at me in the side view mirror, and I'd, I'd give him a little wave. But I was in the shadow of the wings. What a beautiful picture of the Lord's protection for us. In literature, um, uh, you may know this, but in, in literature, especially if you read any Ernest Hemingway, he uses sun as a picture of pressure. Uh, pressure. In, in, in many of his writings, he uses sun as a picture of pressure. And his great thing, his great theme was having grace under pressure. Grace under pressure. Uh, much of literature relies on a picture of the sun as a, uh, a picture of pressure in life. Well, much like that picture, uh, the scripture says the same things, that personal, intensely personal relationship that requires time to build and develop. And he rests in the shadow of the Lord's wings till the storms of destruction pass by. I'm in the cave of Adullam. I'm repenting of my sin before Gath and Gath, and I'm waiting, and I'm going to recover. I cry out, in verse 2, I cry out to the Most High God, <clears throat> to God who fulfills his purposes in me or for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. <clears throat> Again, the personal crying out, the personal reliance on God. I cry out to God the Most High. This is very passionate. Uh, this is not intellectual. Um, it's not studious. And what I wish we could get out of the text such as this is the realization that the God who wrote the Bible, who gave us this text, is a personality that you, you want to take the step beyond just knowing his word, beyond just knowing his word, as important as the word is, and I'm not discounting that in the least because he's given us his, his word to help us know what he wants. But knowing him personally having a relationship with the living God personally so you know who he is and what he wants and what he likes and what he doesn't like and how he wants you to behave as a loving and gracious father takes you in his arms and says, here's what I want you to learn today from this experience. Here's what I want you to learn. Beyond just the reading of the text and knowing the giver of the text, that is a deeper level of Christian faith, brothers and sisters. And that's where you want to be, knowing him, not just his word about him, knowing him personally I cry out to the Most High God. You notice that David's not despairing of his relationship with the Lord. He's not saying, oh, God's done with me. Much like Peter, when he denied Christ, he, re he repented and regretted, and then Jesus embraced him after he rose again. Remember? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times, Peter affirmed his love for him. Peter never again was in that dark place of rejection. He wrote great letters to the churches. He was a great man of God. Not as great as he thought he was. I cry out to the Most High God, to God who fulfills his purposes for me. Again, God has a purpose for David. He recognizes that. He's not done with David. Um, David is not done living for God. The good thing about David is he recognized his wrong. The bad thing would be if he did his wrong in Gath and said, ah, no big deal. I got out of that one by pretending to be insane, by drooling in my beard and by running my hands up and down the gates. 
If he had denied the problem, that would have been a bad place for David to be. But see, he quickly embraced the problem and said, here's what I did. It was wrong. I repent. God help me. That's what we need to do. Under pressure, under pressure, that's what we need to do. Realize what our problems are, the, the outward trouble, the inner turmoil, and then the revealing action. And maybe your action will reveal that you are a person of great character and you don't have a weakness in a particular area. Or maybe it will reveal a problem that you need to address. Pressure reveals character. I cry out to the Most High, to God who fulfills His purposes for me. Here's what God will do. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. How does David know this? How does he know this? Because he's got relationship. Because he knows God from his past experiences, from his past devotion to the Lord. He's seen the Lord work. He knows that God will do these things. When he cries out and he leans into the Lord and he asks for God's care and protection, God will do this. He will fulfill his purposes for me, very personal. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Now let me ask you a question. Maybe there's someone in your life who's tormenting you. A boss, a colleague, a spouse, a child, a teenager, an adult son or daughter, a neighbor, anyone. Or if you're not being tormented today, maybe something in your past, a tormenting relationship. Now let me, let me make this point very clear. Sometimes God does not remove the pressure of that situation immediately. And he allows it or causes it for his own purposes. The secret things belong to God. He does not have to reveal much to us. But what he has revealed should be enough for us. Now eventually, either in this life or in the next, he will take care of it because he's just and he's righteous and he's eternally powerful. So whether in this life he takes care of that situation or allows it for whatever purposes he has in your life, have confidence that he will take care of it eventually, either in this life or in the life to come. He will send from heaven and save David. He will put to shame him who tramples on me and he will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Steadfast love is constant, it's strong, it's... Um, unmovable. His steadfast love is unmovable. God, uh, David knows his God. He knows him very well, and that should be our picture as well, knowing him. Verse 4, my soul, okay, in verse 3, he goes, he, he, he looks up into the heavens, he looks up into his spiritual relationship with God, and then verse 4, he's looking around himself. He's realizing the reality of his circumstance. My soul is in the midst of lions. He's using word pictures to help us understand the viciousness and the danger of his circumstance. My soul is in the midst of lions, not just one, a bunch of them. Lions. My soul is in the midst of them. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. They're close. They're inside. He's experiencing rejection, David is. He's looking at his circumstances. Remember, the previous verse, he was looking up. He was looking through his problem to God. Now he's looking at his circumstances, and he's rightly assessing his trouble and turmoil. Under pressure, what you need to do is rightly assess the trouble, the turmoil. Rightly assess it. Don't be dismayed. Don't be confused. I was reminded of Isaiah 7, where King Ahaz is, uh, um, and I'll just make this brief about Isaiah 7, but King Ahaz is under tremendous pressure because he's being threatened. He's a king of Israel. He's being threatened. Isaiah the prophet comes to him from, with a word from the Lord. It says, and, and the, the Lord said through Isaiah, be, be quiet, be still. 
Don't be afraid. Well, Ahaz was afraid. But see, the Lord said, was saying to Ahaz directly, be quiet, be calm, be still. And don't be afraid of these smoking firebrands, is what he called these kings who were threatening them. You see, that's a picture of what the Lord wants from us. In the midst of the outer trouble, King Ahaz saw the outer trouble. He was facing inner turmoil, and he was going to act. He had a revealing action. Before he acted, he was warned by Isaiah, by the Lord through Isaiah, of what he should do. And Ahaz did not obey. He had a pretend spirituality. But that's another picture of it. So rightly assess... Uh, your trouble and turmoil when you're under pressure. Don't be frenzied about it. Rightly assess it. And be honest about it. These are your circumstances. Be honest about it. Verse 5, be exalted, O God. Again, he's going vertical now. See, vertical, horizontal. Lord, here's what I know you're like. Here's my trouble, Lord. And then he goes back. Verse 5, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. You see how he's doing this? Shifting back and forth. I got this trouble, Lord. Here's my description of my problem. These people are making me miserable. I got lots of trouble. But be exalted, O God. I'm seeing you in the midst of my trouble. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. See, he's praising in the midst of his trouble. Now, you're not going to want to do this. I don't want to do this in the midst of my trouble. I want to wallow in my trouble. I want to take that problem by the throat, and I want to deal with it myself. Right? Well, that's not the way to do it. That's not the way to do it. The way to do it is what David describes here as the way to do it. Rightly assess, be calm, be still, rightly assess, and look toward God. Remember who he is. Remember your relationship with him. Look to him and praise him for what you know of him. Know him personally, intensely personal relationship, leading to great fruit in your life. So be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Verse 6, they set a net for my steps. He's horizontal again, isn't he? They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. A review of his experience with God, and he's remembering what God has done for him in the past. That's one of the beautiful things about knowing the Lord for a while, and that's one of the beautiful things about knowing older Christians, because they who have been faithful know by their experience what God has done and what he's like in a deeper way than younger people do know him. But he's reviewing his memory. Well, in the past they've set a net for my steps and they're doing it now. And my soul was bowed down. If you compare Psalm 57 to Psalm 142, again, written in the, in the cave of Adullam, he says, um, no one cares for my soul. No one's with me. I am brought very low. He's depressed. 142 combined with 57. He's very discouraged, very depressed. He's lonely. He's, well, he's lonely amidst the crowd of 400 with him. And he's remembering this, set a net for him. Not those in the cave, but all their other places. He was discouraged. He was depressed. They dug a pit for me, but they have fallen into it themselves. Again, going vertical, verse 7. Isn't this interesting how it goes back and forth? Verse 7, going vertical. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I'm not going to move. It's uncomfortable here. I want to run out from the pressure. It's uncomfortable here, Lord, but my heart is steadfast. I'm leaning into my relationship with you, Lord, uh, God. I am immovable. That's what steadfastness is, immovable, constant, consistent, and I'm not going to move here. My heart is steadfast, oh God. My heart is steadfast. What am I going to do? Well, I will sing and make melody. That's what I'm going to do. In the midst of my trouble, I'm going to sing to God, make melody, awake my glory or my whole being. Awake, awake my glory. Awake, O oh harp, and lyre, which is a stringed instrument. A lyre was a stringed instrument. Awake, get up, awake, 
sing, I will awake the dawn, I'll get up early, and I'm going to give thanks to you, O Lord, in verse 9. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. I'm going to do this because you're good. In the midst of my trouble, you're good. And I'm going to intentionally decide to do this thing. Under pressure, rightly know and remember his character, who he is. Rightly know and remember his character. And I want you to remember that when you're under intense pressure like this, you're probably not going to want to do it. But you have to determine in advance, what am I going to do when I'm under intense pressure like this? When I've got outer trouble and I'm inner, I have inner turmoil, I have to make a decision about how to respond. Your actions will reveal your character. But you can prepare in advance for that day with your, in your relationship to God, and uh, you can determine in advance what you will do when these circumstances come your way. Everybody faces pressure at one time or another. If not today, then next week or tomorrow. But you will face pressure, outward trouble, inner turmoil, revealing action. See, the revealing action from uh, David at this point is praise, reliance, right assessment of his problem, but reliance on God and confidence in God in who he is. And that's the right place to be. He's giving thanks now in verse 9, publicly giving thanks among the peoples, singing praising to you among the nations. What a glorious thing that is. What a glorious thing that God uh, is so pleased that a man who's got this much trouble in his life is still praising God, seeking to build his relationship with God. Verse 10. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens. Again, that word for indicates, well, why would I do this? Why would I be steadfast in my heart toward the Lord? Why would I sing and make melody? Why would I get up early and sing and, and, and use musical instruments? Remember, he was a musician. Why is he giving thanks to the Lord among the peoples publicly? Why is he singing praises? Well, Verse 10, because your steadfast love is great to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. It's immeasurable. I'm doing these things because, Lord, your steadfast love is great to the heavens. Your love is immensely large and immovable. It's as great as it is to the heavens. It's, it's huge. And your faithfulness to the clouds, faithfulness, consistency, constantly, constancy, that's who the Lord is. And David leans into his relationship under pressure, rightly known, remember him and his character. Pressure always leads to action, and action reveals character. If you stay in 1 Samuel 21 and 22, you'll think, you'll think David's a loser. What a spiritual midget. Well, no, David had a bad day, a real bad day. But remember, David was under intense pressure for a long time with a guy who wanted to kill him. Intense pressure. But the beautiful thing is that you can repent. I could repent, and God can make me better for it. Your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Again, he's going vertical, going vertical. Be exalted above the heavens, as great as the heavens are. Be exalted above them in praise, and let your glory be over all the earth. What a great place to be. Is David unhappy here when he's writing this song? In his circumstances, yes. But in his relationship with the Lord, he's buoyant. And he's focused on him. And he's realizing, yeah, this is my circumstance, but this is my God. This is my circumstance, but this is my God. He's going to take care of me in this life or the next. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the book of Daniel? When the king, um, Nebuchadnezzar, I believe is who the king was, he, he um, uh, set up this idol. And uh, he said, everybody worship this idol. 
And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were Jewish boys. They were young men. They weren't mature men. They were teenagers, among the finest among the Jewish people. But they were held captive. They were taken into exile in this pagan kingdom. And so the king says, you know, worship this idol. And they say, we're not going to do that. These are young men. We're not going to do that. And so he's going to throw them in the fiery furnace. If they don't bow down and worship this idol, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And these young men said, well, um, our God is able to rescue us from the fiery furnace, but even if he does not, we're not going to bow down and worship your idol, O king. We're not going to do it. Throw us in the fiery furnace. The king was impressed, but he, got, they th- he threw him in the fiery furnace anyway, and there's a picture of the uh, pre-incarnate Christ with them in that fiery furnace, and they survived it. But you see, our God is able to rescue us from the circumstance. O king, we're not bowing down to your idol. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not doing it. Why? Because God has an opinion, and God says, that's wrong. And I would much rather please God than please you. I'd much rather face the kindness of God and the pleasure of God than face the anger of God at my judgment and say, I shouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have done that. That was wrong. But you see, God was pleased with them, and he did rescue them out of the fiery furnace. Whether God rescues you today or allows you to suffer consequences because of the pressure of the world, the being ostracized, marginalized, criticized, whatever it might be, if we act with faith in our living God who's good and all-powerful, he will honor us. First uh, Samuel chapter 2 says, the Lord says, he who honors me, I will honor and he who despises me will be lightly esteemed. He who honors me, the Lord says, I will honor. But he who despises me will be lightly esteemed. There are texts like that all over the Bible. All over the Bible. You see, this is the difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Knowing about his word and knowing the God who gave you his word. Having that personal relationship where you can say with confidence, what can man do to me? You can kill me, but I'm not afraid of that. I want, to be, I want to be pleasing to my Lord, regardless of the pressure. So here are a couple principles for you. Well, let's review the, the points. Um, uh, uh, pressure is revealed. Pressure reveals character. Uh, the relationship that you have with God is intensely personal and requires cultivation and care. Uh, under pressure, you need to rightly assess your trouble and the turmoil. Under pressure, you need to rightly know and remember him and his character, who he is, And pressure always leads to action. It always leads to action, and action reveals character, what you're made of. And what you are not today, it's okay. Just recognize your failure, embrace him, embrace his grace and his mercy, and he will bring you up to a better place and a more mature life in him. Frenzy leads to foolishness. Frenzy leads to foolishness, always, always, always. When you're frenzied, it leads to foolishness. Focused contemplation on him and in him leads to bold wisdom. Focused contemplation. Get alone. I know it's hard these days to get alone and quiet without your phone, all this stuff. But get alone and get in his word and think and ponder. Lord, what am I to do in this circumstance? What do I do with this person? What do I do? I've been diagnosed with a horrible disease. What do I do? I'm feeling intense pressure, Lord. Don't run out from under the pressure. God wants to use that to shape you into a greater person for him, a great woman of God, a great man of God. Don't run out from under the pressure. Rely on his word. Be steadfast. Be like David. Don't allow the world to push us and to shape us into its image, to reject the ways of the Lord. So whether Bernie Sanders, I was so impressed with the man that Bernie Sanders rejected. The man said, I'm a, I'm a Christian, 
And I believe that you're lost without the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And Bernie Sanders pushed him and pushed him. This is a public hearing. And he, he affirmed his faith in God, in Christ. Salvation through Christ alone. Affirmed it. Unafraid. Appear, seemingly unafraid. I don't know what kind of preparation he had in advance. I don't know what he thought he would face. But boy, he faced a critical storm right there. But he faced up to it and did very well. Revealing a great character. I don't know what's going to happen to this Christian school in Canada. But it's coming to the U.S. We have a church plant in Canada. In Kingston, Ontario, on the east. This is in Alberta uh, on the west. But it's coming, and it's already here. Now, we may be having a reprieve with the current administration. I don't know. But the culture has changed. We are facing a culture now where being a Christian, a born-again Christian, as all Christians are supposed to be, being a true Christian and following Christ will have a cost, a cost like we've never seen in our country before. There will be a price to pay for being a Christian. The, the fuzzy middle ground of going to church and just hanging out because it's good for your business relationships or good for friendships or whatever it might be, those days are waning. The days are coming when the pressure's on and it's going to cost you something to be at church and to live for Christ day to day and be ready and be prepared. And I hope that you'll remember Psalm 57 and Psalm 142 and 1 Samuel 21 and Luke 22 where Peter rejected Christ but came to be better for it. Remember these days, because it's coming, but leaning into the Lord and the relationship with him, not just his word and knowing his word, but knowing him, that's the key. Outward trouble, inner turmoil, revealing action, frenzy leads to foolishness, focused contemplation on him and in him leads to bold wisdom, wise choices, skill for living. That's where you want to be. All right? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for showing us in your word, through the life of David, through the life of Peter, through the words of Jesus, how we may live for you, that you are patient with us, you're kind with us when we fail. Uh, but Lord, as we repent and as we think about you and think about what you're like and what you want from us, you'll bring us in and we can have a wonderful close relationship of confidence quiet contemplation ready for the challenges of the day ready to pay the price take up your cross take up my cross and follow you regardless of the price knowing that we will enjoy eternity together and we will be blessed as we do so help us to honor you lord in these days we thank you in jesus great name amen Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.